Good evening and welcome to the Poison Pen and another edition of our um, book discussions group. And this evening we actually have two, both Columbia University products, uh, Shelby Parks, who has a degree in, in uh, psychology uh, from Columbia University, and Hannah um, Alilith Sadi, who will be on at seven, um, who teaches writing and also graduate of Columbia and teaches writing at, at Columbia University. So we're we're all Columbia University this evening, and and to our benefit. Our first uh, author tonight is Shelby Parks. Uh, and for um, just to note, Shelby is the wife of my nephew, Matthew. <laughs> and as I told Shelby before, Siegel men are known for marrying above our weight class, and he's done a good job. So um, <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Um, Shelby, uh, your your work is with, and I'll, I'm just going to read your your biography, and you can fill in some spots. Harmonizes people's relationship with themselves in a natural world through storytelling. And in 2020, obtained her MA in psychology education from Columbia, where she focused on the psychology of climate change and the psychology of storytelling. And she spent the last decade as a global storyteller for startups and corporations, helping businesses connect with their audiences on a human level. She is the founder of OYA, Own Your Own Autobiography, working with clients on narrative identity, a person's internalized and evolving life story. She believes that the relationship with the self is reflected in how we treat others and the world around us. And would you like to add anything to, to that? Sure, and thank you for the introduction. Yeah, all of my work from the time that I was a little girl has revolved around writing. Um, and today I actually have the pleasure of being uh, the lead storyteller for um, a climate tech company where I get to speak with companies all over the world about uh, the good work that they're doing for the climate crisis. So this is all near and dear to my heart and Embedded is really a product of all those life experiences. Wow, very good. Um, what is the inspiration for the book? I mean, obviously you, you work in, in, in heavily involved in climate and climate crisis, but but why why a book? Yeah, so for that, um, Embedded actually came to me when I was studying at Columbia. Um, and like you shared, I was in the clinical psych program, um, but really studying eco-psychology, which is humans' relationship with the natural world. Um, not surprisingly, I was most interested in studying climate communication um, and really understanding how we could use words to incite action in, in humans, especially those who may not have dialogue around climate change in their day-to-day -day life. Um, and so what I discovered is most, most dialogue and conversation around the climate cr crisis comes from a fear-based state. Um, so, right, a lot of people absorb their information from the media, which in the U.S., unfortunately, is highly sensationalized, um, and it focuses on the dark and dreary. Um, and because of that, when, when the communication comes from a fear-based state, it can actually lead to almost a, a paralyzing effect, um, wow. and thus 
in action with climate change. So I was looking for a way to to really add hope into the dialogue. And I thought, you know, what better way to do that than through a book that I can write myself? Um, plus, it had been a goal of mine since I was in fourth grade to become a published author. So uh, it just worked hand in hand perfectly together. Well, congratulations. You are a published author today. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the book is directed at what we call um, young adult. Um, and why young adults versus, you know, adult audiences for the book? Yeah, so I don't think anyone would argue with this, but young adults and children are disproportionately impacted by the climate crisis. Um, and I've had the opportunity to go and speak with high school students um, and work with children and really see firsthand the, the eco-anxiety that they're experiencing. Um, and while while the, while climate change is a part of the curriculum now, there's not always um, information around what solutions are actually out there, what can be done, and that a better world can actually exist. Um, and so I wanted to write for that specific audience to really give a breadth of of tools and solutions that they can start turning to to, to create that hope. Um, it's not to say that the book isn't for other age groups. I know. No, I read it. <laughs> exactly. You've read it. Um, and I know people of all ages who have, and it's really, um, yeah, it's really to inspire hope, but, but written through the lens, um, for an adolescent. Very good. Very good. Why don't we just go over the book briefly, uh, tell us a little bit about it. It is a future climate crisis, although not that future. Um, we already know climate crisis is here, but tell us a little bit about the book without giving too much away and, and um, just enough to what people's appetite. Okay, I'll try not to. Um, so as you just said, it is a near future climate fiction novel, and it's set in the year 2038. And that was intentional because I want readers to almost like experience that kind of disbelief of, wow, this world could exist right now, it is existing right now. Um, but when the book starts out, the council, which is the governing body, has forced humanity to live underground in these pods, um, which are really just consist of each individual family who have no ability to communicate with anyone else. And the council has stripped humanity of all their freedoms from when they wake up to what they eat, what they wear, and even what they do day to day with their lives. Um, people have been broken up into these different workforces. There is the high security workforce, which is really the only opportunity to ever see the outside world again. STEM workers, healthcare workers, the natural resource group and service workers, um, and any job that uh, is not seen as helping the council move towards their goals is completely gone. And the story is really told through this adolescent named Kai. And through Kai's point of view, we really see a stark juxtaposition of what life was before all of humanity was sent underground to what it is currently. And on through Kai's perspective, we come into contact with seven other adolescents and each really are representative of a different sector of climate solutions. 
And we journey with this group of children as they start uncovering what the council's intentions are and what role they're playing in it. So hopefully that didn't give too much away. Right, and these these uh, characters are from around the world. They're not just other uh, students or people you would associate with the United States. They're from all over the world. And I, and I, we talked the other day, and I think I mentioned it. You have a line in the book about um, um, people working together creates a really significant and powerful organism to deal with these kinds of issues but it takes a global effort not any specific individual or group for that matter um and you you mentioned before working with kids in school uh i know you've said you've tried to put this into curriculum at, at school so that kids should be more aware not only of the climate crisis which but of um possible solutions and things that they can do even at a very basic level mm -hmm. yeah um i intentionally have characters that are representative of all different geographies because my hope was by doing that that each reader could hopefully identify with maybe a character or maybe even a certain trait of one character right. and so it really personalizes the book even more and um there's a lot of research that went into it um a lot of readers that were helping me fact checked uh because i didn't want to get any of the cultures wrong um so that was a learning experience in of itself um but you're right that there is a line about us being one breathing living organism and there's different messages like that woven throughout the book because it is true um climate change is and the climate crisis is not an individual problem, right? It's an entire global problem that we're all playing a role in and we can't solve it from one country or one group of people. It has to be everyone. It's one of the really the good things about the book. I don't see it's science fiction, but you do provide hope, inspiration and, and solutions which people can look at again and say, well, there, there is a, an end to this or potentially an end or we can alleviate some of the issues. I was reading in the New York Times the other day that England now, Great Britain, 10% of their energy is from wind farms. Mm -hmm. But on a really gusty day, it's like 50%. <laughs> so we're definitely on a path, although not, not everybody is situated like that that has that kind of wind, but it, but there's a solution. And one of the things we talked about a little bit, I don't want to go too much, but you do specifically have solutions for, for different kinds of crisis. You want to talk about just one a little bit so people get an idea, the, the, the hope and inspiration in the book. Yeah, yeah, I can I can cover a few of them. So just, just I mentioned with, we, don't to, we don't want to give away too much. <laughs> so you're right that you know each character um does cover a different kind of sector of climate solutions. So for example, we have a character that covers sustainable food system design. And so and we have another one that focuses on buildings and renewable energy. Um and all these solutions 
are, are very real. They exist today and they can, they can be implemented globally. So none of that is fiction in the book, right? The solutions right. Are, are true. So within like, for example, the food and agriculture character, we talk through farm irrigation efficiency and agroforestry and nutrient management, just to name a few. Um, but so that was the interesting thing about writing this book is, is the majority of it was actually factual and and actually, as I was writing the first draft, I had citations throughout. And by the time I gave it to my editor, he goes, you know, this is this is a piece of fiction. You don't need to have citations. And I was like, well, but this is also truth as well. Well, in reading the book, you, you realize that those aren't fiction. Those are mm -hmm. very sustainable solutions and, and things that people can um, can act on and do act on because Again, there are people in organizations in countries that are dealing with climate crisis, but it's a global issue. So one country over here does something. If the other guys aren't participating, which is where we are now, everybody is um, trying to do some people good, some people not so good, but um, there, there are solutions that, that are applicable in today's world. Yeah, I mean, anyone can go into the book, read about it, and if you're like me and read historical fiction or climate fiction, you can actually Google this information after and deep dive into what these solutions are, because right. Embedded kind of gives that overview. I don't go too deep into any one, um, but it's really to show that there is just mass amounts of solutions out there. Well, I mean, green energy is a very real thing. And in fact, some of the largest investors in green energy are oil companies, mm -hmm. you know, so they see where it's going. And and, right. um, and especially now with the legislation that passed, there's a lot of money um, being put towards green energy solutions. So um, hopefully there's, there is hope and there is opportunity for, for good things to happen. Absolutely. Um, so you've written a book, it's art and it's entertainment. What is the impact in terms of the climate crisis? Is there, a, is there a more obvious way for people to learn about it or is reading science fiction and realizing that there are things that can be done? Is, is that a way to go? Yeah, so first of all, we all learn in different ways, which is why I would love to see this book as part of environmental literacy curriculum, right? Some people do learn from a textbook. Some people learn from podcasts, others from doing their own research. And so I wanted to provide just another avenue where people can start absorbing that information because we all are different. And so I don't, I don't expect this book to be the end all be all resource but it might help some people who don't already have this dialogue happening at home in their communities start to learn about topics that they didn't know existed. Um, so just another resource for people. Very good. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, we are surrounded by climate crisis, mm -hmm. um, but the ability to, to read about it and, and know that there's solutions or countermeasures whatever that we can alleviate it is hopeful for people which should be hopeful for people i think um, um why people still deny it is beyond me um, 
and how many how many storms of the year and all these kinds of things that are happening um what does it take to say yeah it's real and we should do something about it right i think that goes back to a few things and the first is a lot of the way that people are trying to disseminate information about the climate crisis is through facts and figures but we know through studying human psychology that people actually learn best and feel connected when there is that personal human element to the story that they feel connected to. Um, also, for a lot of people, climate change still feels really psychologically distant, um, especially those who are living in wealthier countries that may not have been impacted as heavily by climate change so far. Right, there are are many people in third world countries that are food insecure, that are experiencing drought and flooding and all these natural disasters, and know that it's here and right now, um, which is why I I really think books and movies and um, these alternative ways of learning about the crisis can actually make it hit home and feel more real to people um, who who may who may not understand just how significant of a situation we are in right now mm -hmm. well maybe we should put a little citations in the back in the back <laughs> of your book so yeah why not why not it's trendy you could be you could start the new trend you know science fiction with some citations and i like the way you think they teach you that at columbia right <laughs> they sure do <laughs> uh the pods mm -hmm. How did you come up with, okay, we're going to put people underground um, and, and pretty much erase their memory as to what life above and uh, outside was like? How did you generate that as, as a, okay, that's a way to go? Yeah, you know, the really interesting thing about this book is when when I came up with wanting to write the book, um, I didn't know what it was going to be about. And so I started researching and studying these solutions. And then one night as I was sleeping, I started dreaming about these characters and dialogues. And I, I remember waking up frantically and having to write down everything that happened. And this was happening night after night where it felt like the story was actually coming through me in my dreams. And so I can't say that I was that I chose that consciously in my waking state, um, but I, I was able to kind of take control of of what was happening and and really decide. Oh, I want this next chapter to focus on this type of solution and read about that and then dream and then wake up and and write. But of course, during this time, I wasn't I wasn't sleeping too well um, because I was spending the night writing instead. Well. You've written a, a really wonderful heroine in, in Kai, and I don't know if that's any any of that is you or want to be you, um, mm -hmm. because she's faced with lots of challenges and questions about because having never been outside, she doesn't know what's there and who's who's good, who's bad, and what can happen to her if she goes against the council. And so she's faced with all of these challenges. Uh, and how did you come to describe her as, as the protagonist in the, in the book? 
Well, first, what's interesting is I actually don't use any pronouns with Kai. And this was intentional because I, I want the reader to decide, you know, what gender is this character? And my hope through that was that the reader would identify with Kai even more. I mean, not saying he or she, but just leaving Kai as, as a character that they could create. Um, I, I would say that there is a lot of me um, in the character of Kai. I, I do think a lot of fiction is written through what we know and our lived experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a way for me to really take all of my experience and knowledge that I had um, with studying the environment and solutions and eco-psychology and weave it into a character um, that's almost asking a lot of the similar questions that I've had to ask in my own life. Yeah, because even when she is, she's the last person in the group to come around um, because she still has all these uh, questions and fears and what, what what makes her special? Why she, you know she looks at all these other characters and they all have these attributes and reasons for, but she doesn't find hers until later on. And for me, anyway, uh, the empathy I I associated with with female right away. Maybe that's other people like you said would do differently, but I felt her more empathetic and you know. And that's, if that's you, that's good. <laughs> well, so Kai, I think, really represents the psychology and well-being aspect of the climate crisis, right? Because I think one thing that that is starting to be talked about more, but it's really the mental impact that climate change is having on young people and that really serving those needs and helping children and adolescents and, and adults to um, manage how how it's impacting their well-being is is also an important piece of the climate puzzle um and along with that is is the component of community healing tying us back to what we were talking about that this is felt by everyone this isn't an individual experience and a lot of people are scared but a lot of people also do have hope right a lot of people are scared because it's the unknown i mean you know are those 20 foot waves in Florida real is is Florida going to disappear and half the west coast because of um, rising I mean they can measure icebergs and figure out how much water is there and if that water those bergs disappear then that water is going to go somewhere um and that that that's just frightening it is because there's nothing I mean, as an individual that you can do, um, except move, but then move to to what, you know? Uh, but your book has lots of hope. <laughs> and so what's next? Is there a second second book coming? So I haven't written the sequel to this one yet. Um, but I am almost done with my, with my second novel. It's, it's called Hush. Um, and the, the teachings are really focused on ecosystems and biodiversity and our relationship with other species. 
Um, but I would say it's written for more of an adult audience. So um, uh, a bit darker in, in some areas, but um, but still on the same lines of, of uh, Cli-Fi. Oh, that's what you're calling it now? Cli-Fi? Yep, climate fiction, cli-fi, Sim okay. similar to sci-fi, but its own subcategory. <laughs> Very good. You might be the first book in that section. Oh, I don't here. know about that. <laughs> good for you. That really is terrific. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, I'd love to kind of get into, I guess, the like why why art and entertainment is so important in in dialoguing about the climate crisis and, and the role that it does play, if that's all right. Okay. So um, I think we can all agree that, um, or I'm sure you can agree with me, I mean, how, how many scientific papers have you, have you read in the climate crisis? Scientific papers? Yes, right. They're, they're, dry, they're important and they're, they're vital to research and understanding what's going on. Um, but even the reports that the UN puts out, like the IPCC report, I'm an environmentalist. I haven't read the whole thing yet. Um, and I, I really strongly believe that um, whether it's books or movies um, or even music or plays, that they really play a key role in, in educating the masses because everyone's watching Hulu, Netflix, or reading books, this is where people are engaging and actually learning um, about different topics. And so I think that the art and entertainment world has a responsibility to, to infuse dialogue around climate change, around social, social justice issues, around these heavy topics um, that is harder to understand when we're just reading heavy research. Um, so my hope is that we'll start seeing more of that come out. Uh, I, you know, I mean, the entertainment business and the publishing business, I mean, it's a, they're for profit. Mm -hmm. So they, they need to find um, areas that they're going to make money in. And if nobody's going to pay attention to Wi-Fi, they're not going to, they're not going to feature it. And um, I mean, on an individual level, I mean, I, I tore out my lawn and went going zero escape. Mm -hmm. um, we live in here. It's, this is a desert. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't take any number of years before it returned to, to desert. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're facing water crisis. And the whole West is, in fact, doing that. Uh, and every individual could do a little bit. And that, that again, that adds up to to a potentially big organism. So, uh, but reading that, those papers or putting that out to the public is meaningless. Even if you, you read in a newspaper, they'll do a three or four page. How many people are going to really right. read that, you know? Well, and I think the, you know, the other part is, Cli-Fi is a really, it can be a really heated topic depending on who you're speaking with and what happens when, when you're speaking with someone who has a very different viewpoint from you. Instead of actually listening, we want to protect our views and opinions. And so we shut down and get on the defensive, which 
doesn't help anyone. But when we watch a movie or read a book, you know, our walls are down. We're willingly going into these worlds um, and we feel that we have control, right? Because if, if you're unhappy with the book that you're reading, you can close it, but you're no longer in the defensive. You're, you're absorbing this new information and hopefully starting to question maybe your own belief systems and your own values and how you're living your life. But it doesn't feel threatening the way that a conversation would. Right. Um, so I, I hope that that embedded is able to help people in that way as well, especially those that might struggle um, with talking about climate change. Well, definitely, I think people who read it are going to understand the crisis, the issues, and the, and the potential for hope, like I said before, inspiration mm -hmm. and, and solutions. So, yeah, it's a little manifesto for that, you know, and it's, it's a wonderful book. Um, Thank you. I'm not a sci-fi reader. I've never, never been a sci-fi reader. After um, Flash Gordon, that was it for me. <laughs> So, uh, but I really enjoyed it. And I think our viewers and people, and once it gets out and more people can see it, that they'll, they'll appreciate it too. And Maybe you're a Cli-Fi reader. <laughs> I, could, I could be, yeah. I mean, as long as there's some hope and inspiration, I don't want to sit and cry. <laughs> right. Well, and that's, that's honestly, you know, I was reading, reading different pieces and watching movies that just left me feeling empty after. And I was like, you know what? I, I work in a field where I get to see people really actively doing good work every day who are at the forefront of trying to help the world. Um, and so why not put this into a book um, and let people see that, that this does exist? All right, I'm gonna get a copy now and show people. <laughs> this is embedded. Can you see it? Uh, there you go. By Shelby Parks. You can order it on uh, poisonpen.com uh, or you can call poisonpen.com and uh, it will be signed copy from, from Shelby. Uh, and let's see, Patrick, are there any um, questions? I don't know where Patrick is. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Okay, Patrick. He's going to. He's right here. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see here. Okay. You want me to just come in here? Okay. Yeah. All right. Hey, Shelby. Um, let's see. One of the questions that's come in uh, is: Are the resources still in the book? Let me turn this down so I can hear myself. So, and, did, did your editor agree to keep them in? So we decided to take them out. Um, because we thought it would pull away from the story. But um, I have been working on pulling together all the resources that I still have to put on my website. So anyone can go on there and, and start clicking through. I can give a, a great resource, a great place to start is actually Project Drawdown, which um, is widely known as a resource for these types of solutions where people can start learning more. What is your website? Uh, www.shelbyannparks.com. Oh, okay. Let's see what <laughs> else we have here. Um, well, question, you know, I'm familiar with the term cli-fi and uh, there have been, there actually have been some really 
really amazing books that have kind of come out in the last, you know, five or six years, maybe. Um, one that immediately comes to mind is uh, The Water Knife by uh, Paolo Bacigalupi, which is kind of a handful. Do you know that book? I have here, not read that one. It's set here in Phoenix in, in sort of the, the near future, you know, and water is, of course, uh, you know, is, is the most valuable commodity. And um, it's, it's, it's a very sobering book. <laughs> but I guess my question for you is, do you have favorites uh, in that kind of cli-fi genre? And also, when you start, um, when you start the book, are you thinking of, because it's always, it's always tough to, to merge writing about a particular topic with writing a really good story with compelling characters. What did you start with? Did you start with the idea or the characters or kind of both? So to answer your first question, um, anything by Ken Stanley Robinson is, mm. is fantastic. And I, one of my heroes, so would highly recommend any of his books. Um, I'm actually, the book that I'm reading right now is, I don't even, it's not classified as cli-fi, but it's, um, it's the Island of Sea Woman by Lisa C. Right. And it's, it's a mix of both historical fiction, but I see a lot of cli-fi in there and teaching about the environment as well. Um, so I'm starting, I think that there is a bigger trend and movement that's happening um, towards weaving these narratives and without people maybe even reading it. Um, but it's, it's been a fantastic piece that I find myself pulling away from and then Googling more information that I'm learning. Um, in terms of, did I start with the characters or kind of the, the, the storyline, the idea? Um, I, I knew that I wanted to, to write about hope and about solutions. So the characters came second, um, but it was really fun to, to match the characters to what solutions they were going to be representative of. Um, and so they ended up working out perfectly, but it was the solution piece first. Let's see here. Ah, okay. Oh, someone was just mentioning Project Drawdown. Okay. Um, what else do we have here? It's probably too early to say, have you sold the uh, the rights to any sort of uh, adaptation TV? I mean, I I would love to get to that point. Um, that that is an like an ultimate goal of mine is to turn it into a series or a movie, um, just to reach even more people. Um, plus, the I, I wrote this book in in honor of my of my dear friend who's no longer with us, um, and he was an incredible actor and always said I needed to adapt it into a movie. So we'll see. Do you have, can you talk a little bit about your road to, as they call it, your road to publication and, uh, you know, how you went about publishing the book? And, um, and also, if you have any, and there's always aspiring writers who are watching. Uh, do you have any advice for somebody trying to get into the, into the writing trade? So first I would say put, put your fears aside. I mean, I've written a lot of, of novellas um, and also a whole other book that I have not published because fear has kept me from doing that. Um, and the thing is, there's always going to be critics. Like if there isn't one person that doesn't like your work, then probably something's wrong and you're people pleasing too much. Um, so putting yourself out there and being brave, it just, 
it feels like almost breathing for the first time. Um, and, and for people who are getting started, you know, I'm, I'm self-published. I decided not to try to go through a publisher for my first book. Um, and that was guidance given um, from an author who I really respect. And, you know, the process of learning how to self-publish and the actual business side of, of getting your book out there is a whole nother beast, um, right? Writing, writing's one thing, it's what I'm familiar with, um, but learning the ins and outs of actually publishing it um, was, was difficult, but also really enlightening to all that, that goes into publishing a book. Um, no wrong, right or wrong way. I hope in, in the future that I can find a publisher, but I'm very pleased with where it's at right now. Fantastic cover design. Can you talk a little bit about that? Is this, whose who's work of art is that? Yes, um, that is my dear friend, Adrian Viznik. So I, I mentioned that this book was in honor of- um, That's right, the book is more important than my face. <laughs> I just put it in front of Larry's face, I was apologizing. <laughs> so the book, I wrote it in honor of my dear friend, Sandy. Um, and one of his other dear friends, um, who's a friend of mine is Adrian Viznik, who is also an actress, but a phenomenal artist. And what I asked her was, do you think you can create Sandy's essence in this book? So I, I gave her a copy of the manuscript and um, we, and she kind of birthed this, this beautiful cover that, that really felt like it represented not only him, but the messages of hope and the twisted tanglings of climate change and all that's woven in together. Um, so it's really it's really a work of love from from many people. Yeah, and I like I like the decision to uh, split the word into three parts for the cover. Thank you. It really, really makes it pop, you know, as they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and also, you know, the self-publishing, um, you know, it the whole publishing industry has, has really changed, and I'm sure Larry would agree with this in the last certainly 10 years, but it, you know, maybe even a little bit further. And, you know, there's a lot of great writers out there that are self-publishing, and it doesn't have like the little the stigma that it might have had at one time. And you're seeing a lot of a lot of writers going from, you know, having their first book or two published, self-published, and then getting picked up by a bigger house. So mm -hmm. you never know. Well, I will hope that that happens. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, and I shared this with Larry, like my my goal with this book was to even inspire one person. And like that's what's most important to me. And I I can say that I've done that at this point. Um, and we'll we'll see what's next to come. Yeah, I think it's more than one. <laughs> Thank you. Terrific. I think that's it for the questions. Yeah. Okay. Um, do we have anything else other than to say thank you very much? It's a, it's a beautiful book and I'm sure, you know, you're going to have lots of success with it and the future ones too. It's so, and welcome to the family. That's. Well, so thank you, Larry. And thank you to the Poison Pen Bookstore. This was really special to be able to share about Embedded. And for the people out there, it will be on YouTube. We do archive these interviews. And so um, if you want some of your friends to watch it or um, just to rewatch re it again, it's, it's on there. And again, you can get the book at poisonpen.com or call the store. Okay.
Thank you, Shelby. It's really been a pleasure. And um, see you soon. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.